Welcome to Let's Talk Agriculture, episode 12. In this podcast, Oliver McIntyre talks to dairy farmer and chair of the NFU Cymru Milk Board, Abby Reader, about her experiences with the journey towards net zero and especially the new agroforestry project she has just implemented on her farm. Here's Oliver. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our latest podcast. As you know, the theme for these podcasts has been sustainability, whether that's environmental sustainability or can be financial, social and family sustainability. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Abby Reader, who will be talking to us about how she's embracing sustainability and experimenting with different projects on her farm, including agroforestry. Abby, thanks for joining the latest Let's Talk Agriculture podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Oliver. Excellent. I suppose there's a bit of background, Abby. Can you tell us what was your path into farming and tell us a little bit about the farm and how and where you operate? Yep. We are, or I am, a third generation farmer. I'm farming with my parents and my uncle just outside Cardiff. And we're a relatively mixed farm. So we do dairy, beef, sheep and arable. But our core enterprise is really the dairy herd, of which we're milking approximately 200 cows. My path into farming was perhaps a little bit unusual. Back in my school days, which would have been shockingly about 20 years ago now, girls going into farming wasn't really looked upon as as anything of a, a suitable career. So there wasn't really much encouragement there, but I was encouraged to apply to agricultural college by somebody who worked within the agricultural industry, someone in the supply chain. And I owe a lot to them because they helped guide me to somewhere that once I'd got onto the agricultural course, it was somewhere I realised I belonged and I love everything that I do about farming. I love the day job. I love all of the involvement, everything that we can do and, and how far we reach into society. So yeah, it brings me a lot of joy. Excellent, Abby. Certainly when I went to agricultural college, I think probably only 10% of the students were female at the time. And I gather that those percentages are swinging much more to a 50-50 split, which is great news. Yeah, good to see all sorts of talent coming into the industry, regardless of your gender, your age, you know, your religion, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what we sometimes forget, people with different backgrounds can only help because they bring a little bit of fresh thinking in. Absolutely. Now, on to sustainability. Farming in general, and especially it seems dairy and ruminant farming in particular, seem to be in the headlines quite negatively these days. I think there's a great deal of good being done out there already in UK farming. And obviously, there's still a lot more we can do. How are you meeting the sustainability challenge on your farm, Abby? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I suppose there are, there are three ways that we can do it on a farm. The first one is we could do more renewables. And unfortunately, for someone like myself, even though we're located quite close to Cardiff, that has proved to be quite complicated. It's either requiring too much investment or we don't have a good enough connection to the grid to be of any value. So it's disappointing to see that we can't make use of things like south-facing roofs for solar panels. I don't really have enough fall in the ground, although we have looked at it for water and we've tried wind as well. But I guess we're, we're quite close to an urban population and it's still not really perceived by many to be great for the landscape. So a few barriers there. Another one then would be improving efficiency. Now, that is something that every single farmer throughout Wales, where I'm from, but throughout Great Britain, can really get their teeth into because it's something that we do all the time anyway. We have to get better at what we do. So in my case, it would be, can we get more milk from one cow? Can we get the same amount of milk from from even less cows? Can we get more grass from one hectare? 
people might think, oh gosh, how are you going to do that? And it's really about making sure that the cow is kept as comfortable as possible and lives her absolute best life. So that that means we've really got to keep up to date with the science, with the latest um, genetics and things like that, so that we've got the very, very best cows and there isn't any sort of trip in the system. And then that means that they're always working at, working at their peak without actually having to ask them to do any more than they already do. It's just pushing all the time on myself and to improve their facilities, et cetera, et cetera. And then the third angle is we've got renewables and we've got efficiency, but the third one is carbon sequestration. And we are one of the more unique industries, I suppose, as agriculture, where we have got quite a large scope to be able to sequester carbon compared to, to many, if any, other industries, I would say. So sequestering is our ability to pull that carbon out of the atmosphere and the aim is to get it down into the soil, or oh, that's that's my aim. And that's probably the biggest project that we're running here at the moment. It's an agroforestry project. To a farmer like myself, who is very much a spade as a spade, fancy names like agroforestry, when I hear them in, in sort of the public arena, I can sometimes feel that it's a little bit detached from me. It's maybe a little bit hippie. But actually, when you get down to to what it's all about and what it can mean for the land, there are a lot of opportunities. Yeah, I think I often speak about the whole net zero sustainability piece being a big jigsaw. You're absolutely right. Renewables, especially for those who are perhaps in a slightly better location for for cracking on with them, Abby, are part of the answer. For me, a big part of it is is the efficiency equation. As you say, either the same amount of milk for fewer inputs, which then obviously reduces carbon footprint, or as you say, more milk from the same cow and hitting that efficiency that way. I think we are very lucky in agriculture. With agriculture and forestry, I think are probably the only sectors I can think of that have the ability to sequestrate their carbon. And obviously, we know that around 10% of the greenhouse gas emissions in the UK come from agriculture, but agriculture covers over 70% of the land. So we must be able to get that balance right. I suppose the next question would be, Agroforestry, I agree, it sounds a little bit out there, but it's something that absolutely fascinates me. There's so many other ways to sequestrate carbon, as you know, Abby, through soil management, hedgerows, tree planting in blocks rather than across the farmland. What made you go down that route of, of investigating agroforestry and, and how's it working out? I know it's early days. Well, we've started. It's, it's going quite well. It's quite exciting. How did it all start? As the way most good things do, it starts with a conversation with a complete stranger who I didn't know, who I'd never met before, who got in touch. He happened to be a forester. And it's a bit like one of those jokes where a farmer and a forester walk into the bar, I guess, and you know what happens next. We got chatting. He had a proposal about agroforestry. And I just thought, look, I think you should come out to the farm and, and have a discussion with me. When you talk to farmers generally about trees, we get a little bit nervous. And it's not because we don't want to support the idea, but Generally, if you're planting trees, you're either not going to get any income at all, or if you do get an income from it, it's probably going to be 20 to 30 years down the track. And you come with that, that question of, well, what income is going to support you in those sort of first 20 to 30 years while you're, while you're waiting? The ethos from this forester, however, is that every tree should have a purpose and every tree should bring an income on an absolute maximum of every three years. He's quite an unusual forester. He's also the world's, or he was the world's hedge lane champion. 
he believes that trees that just sit there and look pretty are of no use to us. We need trees that are working for us. And the aim will be they, they pull carbon out of the atmosphere. They put it into the growth in the trees. You then harvest that tree, but you need to use it in such a way that you can hang on to the carbon that's in there. Rather, than, So if we just burnt it, we'd re-release that carbon into the atmosphere. But if we can transform that tree, and he's looking specifically at a product called biochar, very similar to charcoal. But in terms of the last stages of the process of making charcoal, you add water and that's what turns it into the, into the biochar. That's about as much as I can tell you about it at the minute. But it basically locks that carbon that that tree has taken up the atmosphere. It locks it in. At the same time, then you obviously chop that tree down, but it will regrow and it will start that process all over again. And the roots of that tree are constantly pulling that carbon out of the atmosphere and getting it into the soil. And I suppose added onto that, you've got the roots of the trees, which are helping to increase the diversity in the soil. It creates very healthy soil microorganisms. They're going to start working a lot harder and pulling that soil a lot deeper. So we're always talking about the top four inches of the soil, but we need to be talking about getting down two foot, three foot right down into that soil and get that carbon back down into there. So what we are looking at is quite unusual. We always talk about hectares of trees. Everybody's got to plant hectares and hectares of trees. We've got targets in Wales. What this forester is talking about is trees per hectare. How many trees can you squeeze into a hectare and what can you do to make them work for you? So we will be growing these products, turning it into biochar. Some of this is going to be used for various materials in the housing association to displace either plaster or concrete. They have very high carbon footprints. So imagine if we could pull some of that out. Some of it can go into um, various organic matter to help provide a replacement for peat. The process of making the biochar produces an incredible amount of heat. So we're considering what we can do on the heat recovery for that and to use it in different ways. So it offers lots of opportunities. And there's also a special plant in there, which is of great interest to me, which is perhaps it's not so much a tree, it's a bush, but similar sort of thing. And it's got very high protein in it. So it has a potential to replace soya. And that is particularly important for the livestock industry because at the moment we do rely on, on soya, whether that's soya from quite often we take the, the soya waste. So we import soya and we use it for various human foods. And then there's a waste and quite often we'll use that. But either way, if we could displace that and we can't grow soya commercially very well in Great Britain because of our climate at the moment anyway. But could we use this other crop, which seems to work better in damper, wetter, colder climes like Wales? Could we use that as a replacement for soya? So in all honesty, there's a huge amount going on there. It is quite exciting. We have already started planting and we hope to finish by the end of March. And you know, I'm just looking forward to getting the first crop off, really, and seeing what we can do with it. That's absolutely fascinating. It's almost it's almost like pushing at an open door, isn't it? Once once you open the door and go and see what's what's possible, the permutations seem endless at times. Are there specific tree species that you're using or are they quite sort of varied to get a cross-section of timber and product out of them? Yep, so there's quite a bit of variation there. We're being part funded by the Woodland Trust, so their ethos is obviously to encourage British trees, which is fine by me. So we've got some cherry there's aspen in there, which is that really pretty sort of silvery bark type tree. Yeah. We're working with some willow. And then the plant which will be producing the protein for us is a plant which isn't British, actually. That one is called cider. And that's going to be what well, we're going to start propagating it in this country. But it's initially come from Poland. So there's quite a variety. We will be monitoring as well the impact on biodiversity. 
and we hope in particular that it's probably going to encourage a lot of bees to the area whether they're honeybees I wouldn't necessarily say there'd be that, but it would be a lot of bees, which, as we know, are very useful for helping us in, in all sorts of ways, growing food, sustaining the climate, you know, making sure that making sure that we exist, really. Yeah, absolutely. The whole ecosystem does seem, it's, it goes from small to large, doesn't it? And insect life and bees, etc., plays such a massive part in sustainability and, and the ecosystem. Next question, I think, would be, and I suppose it's, a, it's the farmer question, I think, Gabby, how much land have you had to give up to these tree crops? Because I think that's what, a lot, as you say, farmers think about tree planting and they've almost waved goodbye to the land in their head. But I suppose with the more selective planting that you're doing, probably as a percentage more than anything else, but how much land have you given over to the trees at the minute? Yeah, so this was this was the slightly eye-watering point. And, and again, probably because of the conversations that I could have with a forester to say, no, you're not planting a tree, you're planting a crop. That's what I keep telling myself. It doesn't seem quite so shocking. What we planted at the moment is a hectare and a half. We did look at a bigger site, but there was limited options for funding. So obviously I'm putting some of my own money in and it's it's how much can you risk because we've now put it into trees so that rules out the basic payment on that area. It also rules out any grass crop that I could take off it. We have selected a field that is particularly... Well, it's a field that's one of the furthest points from the farm, so we don't necessarily tend to graze it, but we can't put crops on it either because it's very shallow soil, so it is only for grass. And we've chosen a relatively awkward corner to take that out, so we've tried to, to think about where we can put it that might be sensible. And I think a hectare and a half is a good starting point. I want it to be a believable story for other farmers, so if it does work, and I have no proof that it will, I'm just putting my faith in in the forester but if it does work hopefully other farms can see that it's relatively easy to transfer to their own farm especially if there's a promise that you can get an income fairly quickly the, the sitter for example we could actually take crops from that twice a year so once it does eventually establish and it will need a couple of years to get going once it does establish i'm hoping it will replace the grass area that i've lost in terms of the dry matter we can harvest from it so yeah you've got to be careful what you do we need to we need to protect our productive agricultural land because we have to eat. So, yeah, we've been quite careful where we've put it. I think with a lot of farms, it's not an unwillingness to do these things. It's more it's more the unknown. So it's great we've got people like yourself doing these projects, even, even at this sort of very early stage that farmers can come on, look at and go, actually, this, this could work on, on my place too. I suppose, you know, you're there with a couple of generations working at home on the farm. Do you think that push to greater sustainability is being embraced at every level? And how do you think the impetus to get to net zero can affect the profitability and the ability of the farm to support future generations? Yeah, it's a great question, really. It has been interesting. Do different generations look at things in the same way? Probably not. That doesn't mean we don't support one another, but it does mean that our goals are totally different and something that I might see as very exciting to an older generation who are concerned with making sure they've got a stable pension and a stable retirement, then that can be almost a threat. There were other factors that, that impacted what we did and, and where we planted, I suppose, was, well, we couldn't use any rented ground. That ruled that one out because most of our rented ground is on a two to three year rolling farm business tenancy. So it was no use planting trees there. And then I'm in the business as a partnership, but the farm is owned between my father and my uncle. 
So we had to have the discussion of, well, if the farmers to split at some point in the future, let's make sure the trees are on the bit that will remain with me, because otherwise that's going to cause even more of a problem. So it was logistically, it was it was a challenge and it, it is a real leap of faith and it has required money to be given up. So I'm just just hoping really that we can reap the rewards from taking a bit of risk. But I, I personally, I think it's worth taking. Yeah, I think it's really ambitious and it's it's great you've taken the time to tell us a little more about it. I'm I'm very intrigued. I think the overall sustainability picture for UK farming, we've got our sort of NFU target of twenty forty for net zero. We've got a a national sort of government target of twenty fifty. That always feels like a long way off. And potentially with the the tide of opinion and information out there on climate change. Do you think agriculture is going to need to be a little bit ahead of the game targets wise? And, you know, I just have a feeling that perhaps the processors, the retailers, and especially consumers are going to push us a little faster towards net zero. What What do you think, Abby? Yeah, I mean, hopefully people can see we are already ahead of the game in some respects because our target is 2040 and actually the UK target is 2050. So we're already putting ourselves 10 years ahead. We're always going to hope we can beat those targets. Being a mainly dairy farmer, we've got what we call the dairy roadmap, which is a collaboration between ourselves and the rest of the supply chain that have a, a stake in dairy. We're trying to align all of our goals so that we can move in the same direction and therefore hopefully go a little bit quicker. There are always going to be people who will get there quicker than others. And it's about making sure that we can work out what they're doing that we all need to copy. And yeah, the race is on. Usually, as with all of these things, it requires money. So it's really just trying to enable farms to get as profitable as they can and, and get fit for the future. And, you know, just assure everyone that we're trying our very best. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, as always in anything in life, there'll be some businesses get there much more quickly to net zero. Some farms will want to sit back and see what everybody else is doing, see what works. You're one of those farms at the forefront. And I think it's a a really positive message that we need to get out there. Greater sustainability, fantastic, sustainable food with high welfare standards. And if we get to that net zero target, it's going to open up so many markets as consumers are more and more aware of some of the impacts of some of the foods that they do eat. There's a lot of talk in the industry about potential for carbon income streams. My view is that I do feel farming, UK agriculture and individual businesses need to get to their own net zero before they start selling credits. How do you see it as someone who's beginning to get involved in a sort of agroforestry project? Yeah, so it's funny you should mention this because I had a conversation with someone about this the other day and, and they raised a very valid point to me, which is if we can start selling carbon credits almost straight away, then we can find a new source of income to the farm that will enable us to get to our own net zero quicker. And that, for me, is is actually quite an important point. If I can start selling the benefits of biochar and get more more money into the farm, then I can start investing even more in better facilities for my cows. At the moment, that's not an option, so that's going to be a very slow process. But if I can get another income in, then you know I can start running the two in tandem. So up until I'd had that conversation, I, I was like, you know, we need to get to net zero first, but it's not going to happen quick enough. So to me, being able to start selling as, as soon as you, you can definitely opens a lot more doors. Yeah, I think there's the big variable. The carbon you're producing in your project and, and, and a lot of planting projects 
is quite verifiable. I think the great unknown for me is is the soil carbon and crop sequestration into the huge landmass that UK agriculture uses. That's probably a, a sort of scientific measurement that's not quite where it needs to be to start generating that income. But you're absolutely right. This is why discussion's always good. If you can generate more income from selling that carbon, it would allow farmers to invest more money into their farms. So I can see both sides of it. I think if it was me, I'd be getting to zero first. But I suppose discussion and debate about these things is is what makes the world go round. And that's how we all sort of learn and how people see each other's point of view. So many sides to these discussions. It is getting towards time to wrap up now, Abby. Personally, I feel super confident that UK agriculture can get to net zero. I think it's going to be a challenge, but the advantages of the image, the output and the marketing are immense, not to mention, of course, the environmental positives. Are you confident we can get there? And do you think we can get there by 2040? Yeah, I'm confident that we can get there. I think that there is a huge amount of innovation going on in the industry at the minute. There is a lot of exciting things out there that farmers are talking about, and we are definitely all heading in the right direction. So we'll do it. You've really got to think back four years. We just weren't having these conversations, perhaps in the industry or certainly not as in-depth. And I think the, the progress that the industry's made in the last three or four years gives me that real confidence that we'll definitely get there. Abby, thank you so much for your time today. I know how busy you are. It's been really enjoyable speaking to you. Hopefully, we can catch up again soon. I'd love to come and have a look around when we're all back to normal. And of course, good luck with the project. And please come back and tell us how it's going in, in 6, 12, 18 months. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Oliver. Great to speak to you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and you'll receive a notification when we release our next episode when no doubt we'll be taking another deep look at a topic facing UK farm businesses. All of our Let's Talk Agriculture podcasts are available to listen or download from the Barclays Let's Talk Business channel on Spotify, Apple and SoundCloud. Thanks again for listening. We have a series of podcasts on our Let's Talk Business channel that delve deeper into important business topics and issues. Please add them to your playlist and take a listen. Make money work for you. We're not responsible for, nor do we endorse in any way, third-party websites or their content. The views and opinions expressed in this content don't necessarily reflect the views of Barclays Bank UK PLC, nor should they be taken as statements of policy or intent of Barclays Bank UK PLC. Barclays Bank UK PLC takes no responsibility for the veracity of information intimated by a third party and no warranties or undertakings of any kind, whether expressed or implied, regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information given. Barclays Bank UK PLC takes no liability for the impact of any decisions made based on information contained and views expressed. Barclays Bank UK PLC authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Mm-hmm.